Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for Hello, and welcome to Season 32, Episode 25 of the Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. And I'm Rose. And in today's episode... Doogler asks what to do when your PC is treated like a side character. Gergmerg wants tips on getting player feedback. And Gray Pennell wants to know more about the trust mechanic in Starscape. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Announcements. Today is the last episode of season 32. So... If you remember, we take a two-week break between seasons, so we'll be done after this one, and then we'll be back again at the beginning of December. And no designer of the month this month, because since we're a part month, that didn't seem fair to anybody. So we're going to get right in on everything else. Oh, we will be having our next game days in January. So if you are interested in that, make sure you join the Discord at happyjacks.org slash discord. And then we'll be uh, voting on the, the Saturday, whatever day it is, of January pretty soon. So go get in the Community Gaming Channel, and you can be part of that voting. Very exciting. Mailbag number one. Rose, would yeah, you like to I'll, go? Yep, I'll go ahead and take that one. So this one is from, what was the username on this one? Dougler. Thank you. So, hello, Kimmy, Lady of Storms, and the Happy Jack Court of Rainy Weather. First off, thank you guys for responding to my last email. The first game is about two hours from when I'm writing this, so I'm a mix of excited and nervous. So it actually got me thinking of some old games that I played in a, uh, played in a long time ago with a group I don't play with anymore. These things happened over a couple of different games in a homebrew system that the stuff we did in between sessions with the GM, where things like NPC interactions... I'm sorry, I am all over the place. <laughs> but things like NPC interactions, looking into what happened during the sessions. Okay, the layout on this one is absolutely throwing me. Okay, <laughs> most of the playtime focused on uh, one uh, player each session. When we moved uh, to Skype during the pandemic, I had enough time uh, before my turn to actually make myself something to eat, come back, and start eating before it moved on to someone else. <laughs> oh, good grief. Yeah. That's um, <laughs> an additional asterisk. A villain is secretly being their father and feeding them info to move the story forward while no one else has a way to find anything out. Oh. One session that was just their character getting married with no plot relevance or progression. Oh, no. Huh. Honestly, there was a, a lot more things that happened, but these few uh, were just the easiest examples without a huge amount of backstory. So I guess my question is, have you find folks ever been in a situation where the GM is focusing on one player or your character has been relegated to the background of the story? What did you do in that situation? As always, thank you for your advice and guidance. Sincerely, Dougler. P.S. So this actually took me a while to write, and I have, in the meantime, played about five sessions, and it's going really well. <laughs> the players are having fun, so am I, and I think I'm uh, giving everyone a chance to shine. I, you love it when the follow-up email is contained it's in the right first there. email. Yeah. It's just so efficient. <laughs> I mean, I like more content, so 
Doogler, yeah, maybe write yeah. back like a post-op of exactly how. Mm-hmm. But yes, I have been in this situation so many times, it feels like. As awful as it sounds, it's just, I feel like it's a fairly common thing to have happen. I feel like it's especially a common thing in, in more trad game circles where like game mechanics and plot <laughs> and never the twain shall meet. So things like I was this exact scenario happened in a D&D campaign I was in. It's actually what led to me uh, getting myself kicked out of that D&D campaign. <laughs> but we had a session start like we were supposed to get started at like noon. And like we didn't get started until three. <gasps> oh. And then, like, at that point, I have been waiting for three hours. My ADHD medication has been running through my system. My brain has been, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. For three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> we have an entire session that is one character's backstory, and we are NPCs that roll dice. Oh, my God. And it just... It was brutal. And I tried to like interact. I tried to make myself a part of conversations and the glares I got. And I'm just like, oh, why are we having this session at the table? Why are we here? And it was my own personal hell. And I did not stay in that group after that. (laughs) It was a whole dang thing. But yeah, that... That happens. I think that's kind of a, a telltale sign of like a an inexperienced GM who who isn't really sure how to spotlight evenly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely something I've run into more playing trad games than something like PBTA, where a lot of systems have mechanics for oh, and then another player helps you in your na- in your action or stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. it's it feels very weird to have like a session of like Monster of the Week or Masks or something like that, where it's just one person and the GM talking to each other for a long extended period of time. Yeah. I don't know. How about how about you, Kimmy? Uh, so, okay, my all my experiences with this, I'm going to leave out names because you all yeah, know. So which all AP these did this happen on, Kimmy? <laughs> yeah, this one was actually not an AP. <laughs> this was one a very experienced DM who's near and dear to many of your hearts. And it was his first time gaming with his, eventually became his wife. Oh, wow. It was so rough. Like, it was great. Like, I'm, someone I'm, had a good time. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm going to draw, I'm going to be open with it. I love him, but it was Bill. <laughs> uh, Bill was running it for his, like, I think it was, they, I don't think they were married yet. I think they were dating still. I don't remember because, mm-hmm. like, time has no meaning. But, and like, it was just one of those things we were playing D&D. I don't remember if it was fourth edition or fifth yet, because it was like back in the day. And it was just one of those sessions where it was just like we were in combat and like the monsters were like literally bending over backwards to not hurt her and like attacking everyone else around her. And like it was just like the strangest thing. And all of us are just sitting there like trying to be cool about it because we get it. And like they're our friends and we want to support their relationship. But we're also getting pretty frustrated by like, all the monsters deciding to go like around her to attack everyone else. And I was just like, oh, it was so, it was very cringe. I think if I remember correctly, we did kind of talk to Bill about it afterwards. Like, okay, we get it, but like, no more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
So like, it's like, yeah, we still want to play games with you, but you can't do that again. Yeah. Like we're all we're, we're taking one one for the team of your relationship <laughs> and no more. Done with this. Yeah. I have seen it a ton on streams. Uh, I haven't been in all of them, but like lovingly calling out our Monster Hearts campaign. A lot of times, I think all my experiences with this have to do with budding relationships, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> it's really hard to game with people who are like in a relationship that like haven't played with each other before a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. I... Well, and- yeah, it's especially that new relationship energy, right? Because you're like trying to impress them still yeah. and you're like still trying to like put your best foot forward versus like if you've been in a relationship for a while and you both play role-playing games, at which point neither of you are like, neither of your characters are romantically involved with each other. Of course not. Yeah. Why would you do something so silly? Yeah. No, you're obviously <laughs> trying to date other people in the game. <laughs> in the game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course you're blood rivals with, the person you're dating. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's just like funny. Just like a couple of them, like, like the Monster Hearts AP did this very clearly with, I mean, I guess it's not a secret because, you know, uh, they're married. Adam and Joey are married now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adam. Well, and see, I got to be like the next campaign they played together. Yeah. <laughs> well, probably not the next, yeah. but over COVID, I ran that infamous mass campaign. Mm-hmm. And and got Adam and Joey in that. And th- their characters were, like, friends. Yeah. But, like, I couldn't tell you a meaningful interaction they had between the two of them other than, like, a funny joke every now and then. Yes. <laughs> um, they were absolutely, like, Adam was chasing a, a guy who claimed to be Apollo. <laughs> and Joey and Emily had gotten, their characters had gotten together, which was just hilarious. They were so adorable. Yeah. Such a great time. Yeah. But yeah, like if it's an established good relationship, that doesn't happen. That's so least funny. You yeah. If they've played games together before, is that, yeah, yeah, those new ones are nightmare. I think nightmare. That's, that's the key there is like, because I also like my husband rarely plays tabletop. He does. And he, he comes at it from a, he's so, very creative. He's an ex, he wanted, he almost went into acting, but then he went into directing instead because, you know, I don't know. So he's very into the whole thing, but, Mm. and especially the role playing, but he comes at it as like a director. He comes up with a whole story he wants to go through. Mm -hmm. And so he still kind of like struggles, especially with like our play style, which is like unpredictable to say the least. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all are trained in improv. Yeah. Like like, how many of you have worked fair? Well, yeah, okay, Ren Fair, yeah. Like, and how many weeks would that run? Where you have to just talk to people as a character? Forever. And think of things to say? Yeah, that's true. They don't really train you. It's like, they just throw you in, and it's like you either succeed or you hate it and leave and never come back. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's like people saying like, oh man, that Dwayne Johnson guy is a pretty good actor. A pretty good actor. I wonder why. It's almost like he went on live TV and had to play a character every night of the week for years. <laughs> years exactly yeah so yeah and i have to be really careful when i'm running because sam's played in a couple of the starscape play tests and stuff like that i have to be really careful not to like baby him or like like predict what he wants his storyline to be things like that so i have to work really hard not to do that he still has a great time i just have to like fight against that urge so i totally get the urge to like want to do that especially because he and i don't game together that often well, we video game together all the time, but like, yeah, yeah, 
but like tabletopping, it's like still really special when he finally is like, oh yeah, I'd like to do that. He gets in the mood to do it like every two years. And then I'm really excited. And then he does it for a while. And then it's just like, okay, and now I'm done for forever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my advice would be like, figure out why it's happening, I think. Like there is advice in this other than yeah. us just bitching about our experiences. I think it's like one of the classic, like it's making a combat that's too dangerous. Like it's, it's a telltale sign of a new GM mm-hmm. and they hopefully do it once and then get over it. I think you can see this stuff kind of continue on if no one ever addresses that it's an issue. Yeah. Like if you have a group of really passive players and they're okay to just sit there and twiddle their thumbs, mm-hmm. yeah, it can end up being something that happens for years. But if the GM is kind of committed to self-improvement and and kind of working with what their players want and, and they have players that want interaction and don't want to sit through just a one-on-one session with an audience, it's pretty important. I think also both of our examples were D&D. I find that D&D, because the, like the character classes and backgrounds usually are, are really different, it kind of, you end up siloing plot yeah. for specific characters. Like the, the druid, okay, the druid of the party is going to turn into an arch druid and they have to work out their druid politics. No one else is going to talk to the arch druid. Nobody. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares that they can talk to trees. <laughs> like, <laughs> and same thing for the paladin. Nobody wants to go talk the leader of the holy order because no one gives a shit. <laughs> like, I find that like the characters having such disparate backgrounds and desires leads to really siloed plot yeah. and story arcs. And that's why like having things like the PBTA uh, background uh, moves or uh, like the background questions where you have these connections where you build up like NPCs that you everybody knows or has a relationship to like it works so much better when like oh the rogue and the paladin are, are siblings yeah or something like that where okay you suddenly have investment because okay this person has been screwing over my brother who's been trying to become like some a cardinal in the church and He's worthy of it, but because of church politics, has just been screwed over again and again. Mm-hmm. And so, like, suddenly that you get that buy-in. You don't have those sessions where, okay, and this is the next noble who comes and talks to this person. That just, just end me. <laughs> yeah, I think also, like, I think feel like combat is one of the places where this becomes really, really clear. A lot of times, like I was kind of describing in that combat with Bill, like the enemies being very clearly, like literally having tactics to not hurt this one character. I feel like that can't happen in a lot of other systems because D&D is so clearly like turn-based. And with the we were using the map and everything else. So it was like counting out, you know, all the squares to for all your damage and how far you can travel and all this stuff. So it was like very clear how hard he was working to like not hurt her character. <laughs> yep, yep. I, um, I, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I'm so against domestic violence that I won't roll attack rolls against my partner. Yeah, which, okay. If you're, if you're like that, then like tell us up front because like I could get behind that, but... Have them play the caster. You can't yeah. have them not hit the paladin. Right, exactly. I, I don't remember what she was playing, but it was something where like... There was one point we all just like like sat there. We were just like looked at each other. We all knew exactly. I think Snork yeah. was in that game. And you got the you, magically unattackable barbarian. Yeah. It just, was just like, what? Like, 
I don't know. And she was like right up front and like they swing to the right and attack you because you look tougher. I'm pretty sure I was the fighter because I'm always the fighter, but I don't know. But I think there's a lot of combat systems that that can't happen as easily. So Mm -hmm. like PBTA is an example. I feel like even like Wild Talents, I feel like most other systems where it's not, where it's more narrative, at least as far as not having a specific battle mat, like, like even like Savage Worlds and stuff like that, even though it's more turn-based and a little bit more traditional fight style, it's mm-hmm. so much harder to like clearly see like how the spells are going around a person like when there's not like a map there. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what I, it becomes um, noticeable. I also like looking back at it, like the the wedding session where just just one character gets married it doesn't even say if it was to another PC or if it was to an NPC. If it was to an NPC, that's even worse. But yeah. like the entire session is just that. I'm getting so okay. This is totally assumption. I have no idea who these people are. I have no idea. But I'm getting vibes of like GM crushing or liking this other person. Like they're living out there, like NPC. Oh, see, okay. Uh, it was an NPC. Yeah, yep. Dougler's in chat. He's clarified it was to an NPC. I'm wondering if the GM has like like feels for this. I just spilled my wine and caught it. (laughs) None of you saw, but I rolled a 20 on my like amazing dexterity roll. Okay. Yeah, I feel like, especially if it's an NPC, I feel like maybe the GM is like crushing a little bit or like I'll roll out, I'll play out my my wedding fantasy, my little relationship fantasy with this person. And I don't know. I've done that. Like there's times you get feels in games. That's a scene. Like yeah, that's know. not a session. I mean that, that. I mean that's that's a bad choice. That's a very uh, that's a bad choice. But yeah, yeah. Even like, that, like I don't know, a scene would be great, but yeah, a whole whole session. I don't even like we're just real life weddings chance. that much. Like I don't want to spend a whole <laughs> wedding real life session unless it's, it's very good friends. Like I don't want to spend four hours at a wedding if I can help it. That's a lot. I feel like if you played the right game, you could absolutely have an entire session that just is drama at the wedding. Oh yeah, that could be hilarious. Oh, amazing. Like I feel imagine, like, this is not like <laughs> yeah, like what is it? Good society. Yeah. Oh my god. Like, imagine the game you could have at a wedding. All the backbiting. Oh my god, the dowager. Like all. That all stuff. the family drama. I mean, I yeah. feel like there's a lot of system. Like even if the system doesn't lean into that, you could lean into that. But yes. it feels like there wasn't enough like character background stuff for that. Like you have to have like the crazy mother-in-law and like like all the the bar that ends up like, okay, free until this time. And then like it cuts them off at exactly the wrong time in the session. And then like the dwarf is really angry or whatever. (laughs) Like, I don't know. This is a stereotype. I'm sorry to stereotype it against dwarves wanting alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize, but it's true. So to go tangent after tangent. So I'm going to be working on teaching a GMing class coming up, hopefully in the new year um, as part of my job. So that's going to be something I'm going to be talking with people a lot on the Discord. If you're not, go to uh, happyjacks.org slash Discord. Uh, come join us. I post on there entirely too much. But one of the like one of the core principles of being a GM is respecting the other people at the table. And that includes respecting their time. So if you're going to have people at your table, they should be playing in your game and not watching your game. So if you're going to have like a big talky session make sure everybody gets to talk or just tell them that they can skip a session or don't have that like session on the day you actually play your main game Mm -hmm. like if you're gonna have a session one-on-one with a player 
just do that when your schedules align. Don't take up a game day where everyone has cleared their schedules and shown up in person or on Zoom or on Discord and spend that just talking to one person. Yeah, Um, especially like the... Like it's described as not having any plot relevance or progression. Like I can see, okay, maybe spending a session on this if it's something like, oh, you know, we had to rescue the Duke who was marrying, you know, this person and like, okay, like whatever. If it's been part of the plot the whole time, so it's kind of like a a rest session where there's been a bunch of action leading up to this moment and then you have like this wedding. Like I can see how that would be a great story point. Yeah. But if it's just like, out of the blue, that's wild. Every game needs a beach episode. <laughs> yes, like, absolutely. like you need that downtime episode, but like the downtime only works if people are partaking in downtime, having conversations, yeah. like doing things, getting to do things with their characters, stuff like that. And if they, um, have, they have emotional investment in what's happening, like the and, beach. And also, yeah. you need buy-in for yeah. a good beach episode. Absolutely. Like if people say, I only wanted combat. Why are we spending an, insi- an entire session with my character in a chainmail bikini? It's like, well, you shouldn't have played the male barbarian then. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, I'm sorry, why are you in my game? <laughs> exactly. I was like, we should maybe think about playing with other people. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's reflect on each other right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it's just I, like, I, I've been part of wedding episodes or or episodes like that where there's some big thing, uh, an anniversary or like a family reunion or something like that. But yeah, it has to tie in with the plot. Oh, absolutely. Like, I I don't, it makes me wonder if this player was like, hey, this is really important to my character. In which case you're like, okay, great, but let's build up to it. Let's find a way to tie in all these other characters. Like, are the other characters, I hate to like be like Western traditional, like who knows what your game is like, but like the... Mm maids and groomsmen, you know, and like, mm-hmm. or whatever, like. The, I mean, the idea of an adventuring party as you're like so groomsmen good. or bridesmaids. Oh, just a plus concept. Yeah. I am so sad that they fumbled that. Right. Pick which one's like, going to be the officiant and like have them try it. Pick the worst character to do it. Like the barbarian. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. The barbarian. So or good. like, or just like the most like. <laughs> overly strict paladin trying to like officiate a wedding like the person who's only ever seen the battlefield trying to like talk about love yeah amazing yeah i'm so here for that i now want to make a game that is just about fantasy weddings i know um mm-hmm. that okay tm 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 rose rpgs copyrights <laughs> all, all rights reserved okay published by golden lasso <laughs> <Yes>. games <laughs> nope nope I will okay. fight you. Okay. <laughs> Your game, public, I'll like get it printed. Oh, published. Oh, yeah, published. published. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I can great. give you a crisp high five for publishing fees. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's so many great ways to do things like weddings that are silly or even if you want them to be serious that still include everyone. Like it should never be, there should never be a situation where everyone at the, at the table except one person is just sitting and observing. Like, Absolutely. I mean, now, okay, like throwing way back to when I used to do my Elven role playing on MMOs. Like, we used to have like in game weddings. Mm-hmm. And like, it was like all in Elvish, and you'd go and sit there with your character, and it would be like forever. And it was all in Quenya. And even then, it was like, 
I don't know. It was interesting because like we would find ways to like role play with each other, even though we were supposed to be quiet. So it was on like telling you how old it was, like ICQ and stuff. So back and forth, like people whispering to each other because like you never didn't want to be doing something. It's never fun Mm -hmm. to just sit there or like you said, okay, there are a couple of times where I went to them and then like went and made food with my character just sitting there in the little virtual church in Ultima Online or whatever game it was. But yeah, I don't know. It's wild. It's it. You don't ever want there to be nothing happening. And yeah. the cool thing about online stuff is like we could like make stuff happen without interrupting things because we would have those all those chat avenues. But you can't really mm-hmm. do that at a gaming table without also being a jerk. Because if you're yeah. like having a side conversation while this big thing's happening, then people get upset about that too. So, or you just play Alice is Missing, which is a game of side conversations. There you go. So there's, I feel like there's a lot of like mechanics you could pull into it if you wanted to make it juicy, like mm. people passing notes back and forth. I don't know. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. A, or like a fade to black on the wedding and then everyone try, like waking up in some weird position, like awkward situation, like trying to figure out what happened during the yeah. actual wedding would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Middle Earth, the hangover. Exactly. And like, like pull out, I don't know. It, like you could still do it in D and I'm sure, but it'd be fun to pull out like gumshoe or something for one session while you all tried to <laughs> figure out what was what had happened the night before. <laughs> oh, that that does sound amazing. Oh, See, gosh. now we have all these awful ideas that we can make into things. Yep, yep. This episode is the birth of like six new games. So many, so many new games. But yeah, and Dougler saying it was like set. My Hero Academia, uh, Academia, which mm. I love. I drink my wine very quickly, so I'm slurring a little bit. But <laughs> um, I think also when people play in universes they love, and I had to be really cognizant of this when I was doing our One Ring actual play, it's really easy to get like so involved in what you want to happen in that world as a GM, especially if you're really versed in it and you really love it, that you kind of forget to give everyone a spotlight because you're so busy giving the world a spotlight. So that yeah. might have also been what happens in this game. Now that I know that it, it's happening in a very active fandom that a lot of people really care about, that also can be something that very easily can happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, like, I don't know if they were playing, like, canon characters or whatever, but... Oh, gosh, that <laughs> that could be so much worse. Yeah, I mean, I mean... Who doesn't want to like, I mean, come on, like, like we all have our favorite characters and I mean. Yeah, I, an entire like game of shipping characters though, just again, not to yuck somebody else's yum, but that does sound like my own personal hell. (laughs) I mean, yeah, but like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, like, like we all want to see Midoriya happy. So like, do we though? Do we though? I mean, okay. I'm not totally I bounced off that show. (laughs) Uh, I'm, which is odd considering my enjoyment of Western comics and just like not latching on to my hero academia. I could see it. Like it's just a yeah. I don't have the shonen antibodies required for that. (laughs) Like I've I've bounced off every shonen anime I've ever watched. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a fandom. Like I, I even caught myself doing it with One Ring, like where I was like pulling my favorite characters and dropping them in. Now, luckily, it, like I think I did a pretty smooth job of it, so it didn't seem too much like me just playing out my fantasy of like Kai talking to little Aragorn, which it uh, kind of was, but it was also Kai's fantasy, so it worked out well. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. so long as you're aligning it with like people's, you yes. know, stars and wishes and stuff like that, yeah. like 
I think the oh, what's it called? When a character shows up in something, a cameo. There we go. Yeah. Like the little cameos in established settings, like that's kind of the fun of playing an established setting. Yeah. You just don't want your game to turn into the adventures of Aragorn and these four bozos who decided to play in this game. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, it would, it, it's so easy for those characters to come in and just like wreck everything. Oh, God, like yeah. Glorfindel, like why are there problems in the world where he still exists? Like that doesn't make <laughs> any sense, but whatever, like it's fine. Um, yeah. And if you don't know what that means, go read more Lord of the Rings stuff or at least Google it. Yeah, I, I ah, guilty as charged a little but uh, I feel like we've thoroughly stomped that question into the ground 100%. and tread off into other strange directions. Do we want to move on to email? Probably to- a good idea, but I, I think it was still a very good discussion. Um, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Especially no, with the I motivations. I will continue just following rabbit trails okay. the entire Same. night, Same. but eventually somebody has to go to work on Monday. and I mean, yeah, yeah. tomorrow. Oh, so, yeah, tomorrow. But yeah, um, kind of like... <laughs> So we wrap that up with like an actual advice, Googler. Try and figure out their motivation. Try and figure out your GM's reason for doing these things. Are they trying to appease this person like because they're romantic with them or because they're a good friend of them? Or is this player having a hard time? So they're trying to make them enjoy the game. I've also seen this actually a couple times. Sorry to like continue even though we... T- but no, uh, it just occurred to me. I've, I've seen this also sometimes when some, when a GM gets bad feedback from a player. They like overcompensate by bending over backwards to try and make that person feel relevant, give them what they want in the game, having a really great time. So that might also be what happened here. If this player is like, hey, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I'm not having fun. Then this player might actually, then the GM might be going, okay, well here, I'll do all this stuff to like make that person have fun again. Absolutely. Yeah, that's my personal advice, and it sounds like these are old games that happened a while ago, mm-hmm. so hopefully not still having to deal with these same problems. Yeah. But like, if you ever find yourself at a table like this, like, talk to the GM about it and just be like, hey, I feel like we haven't been getting like a, a good even amount of spotlighting, and it's frustrating to sit through an entire session where I, I'm not really a part of the session. Mm-hmm. Is that something that we could see about addressing? And if they're able to swing back from that and kind of balance things a little bit more cool have fun but if if it's something that doesn't really change i wouldn't play with those people and it's one of those okay do i have mediocre game or no game and i would say any any time you go to play in a game session and you have your time wasted that goes from mediocre to bad yeah and and like if it happens once and it's by mistake, like if you spend your entire time chasing a red herring and then you spend like a session or multiple sessions doing that, like you make sure the GM never does that again. But like if it's something where it's like, OK, you had that that one problem session where only one person was spotlighted the entire time and then it keeps happening, just yeah. like find somebody on the Happy Jacks Discord to play with instead. Or, They're all perfect. Uh, Oh, heavens, no, I'm on the Discord. (laughs) Same. Um, But they are fun. We are a lovely bunch of weirdos. The energy is unhinged, but it's lovely. Yeah, and good Um, intent. Like, any mistakes are are not, like, intentional. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy the crew on, on the Happy Jacks Discord. Any chance you get to play in a game days or find people who have compatible schedules and stuff like that, 
that is how I ended up on the podcast was I wanted to play masks. No one was running it. So I ran masks and I ended up recruiting some of my favorite people in the world to play in a game. So I hope and believe that that's out there for other people. Yeah, same. All right, mailbag number two. This is where we see how quickly Kimmy drank her wine and how it goes. Ahoy, (laughs) Captain Kimmy and the Happy Jack's crew. Like many in your audience, I want to make sure that I'm running the best game I can for my friends. Doesn't need to be perfect, but I want it to be fun for everyone, and I want them to be as excited for my games as I am for theirs. Our group is blessed with many passionate GMs who all have more ideas for great games than we will ever have time for. To that end, have any of y'all figured out how to get players to tell you, I don't like this particular part of the game, and I wish it was different? Sorry, that was my player voice. I know it was <laughs> hashtag not yes, all players. Yes, full of respect for your players. <laughs> yes. Was that Kai? Was that Jay? Which player was that? Yeah, gonna, I'll just say it's Jason. Like oh, yes, that is the Jason, Jason voice. voice yes. That is the Jason voice. <laughs> for a long time, I just asked for general player feedback at the end of a session, but I wasn't getting much useful info, so I wanted to switch to something more structured. I heard you all mention stars and wishes, but I don't really know how that works. I'm sorry if this is a repeat, but would you mind covering that again? For games I was running, I went with a classic, or Rose's Thorns, but that's new. I haven't heard of that one. With introduction to this group, I wanted to model actual specific criticism. So I usually opted to go first and identify something specific in the thorn section. E.g., I don't like how that mechanic on the NPC I built stalled in combat. I dragged it out and it was boring for me. I do occasionally get good thorn-like feedback. But the most common thing I hear is, no real thorns for this session. Sometimes they'll name a bad plot development since thorns. But when I was asked for clarifying question about whether the player dislikes it or the PC dislikes it, I learned that the players actually have fun with it and they thought it was good. So with their endorsement, it gets refiled as a rose. My friends followed my example. Now when they run games, they also ask for Thorn Rose's buds at the end of their sessions too. I try to give them the same specific feedback I've been asking for and it's worked. One of my friends ran the first session of a campaign. I gave some feedback and the thing that didn't work for me about the thing that didn't work for me and it was fixed going forward. Obviously, I have to have an adult conversation check-in with them along the lines of, hey, this feedback system isn't working like I thought it would. Can we clarify our expectations real quick? But in preparation of that, I'm looking for sage wisdom. Do you have any recommendations for those meta-feedback conversations? Have any of you all struggled with this kind of thing before? How do you get past it? Do you have any alternative formats slash approaches that have worked well? Thank you, Gerg Merck. P.S. Traditional P.S. P.P.S. As I'm writing, I'm like two episodes behind, so feel free to save it or ignore it if it's too redundant with a topic I haven't heard yet. So, Gerg Merck, I'm going to be a little blunt with you. You might be just doing a good job. <laughs> yes. If like, all the feedback says it's good, you don't have to keep asking for feedback until it's bad. Yeah. Most of the time, people, I mean, like, depending on how good of friends they are, some people don't want to give you bad feedback. But if you're asking and you're clearly and you're using the, the thorns, roses, buds, which I also, that's so cool. Like, I love the addition of buds to that. That's really awesome. I'm um, pretty partial to this system for, for some reason. Yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> Rose. Like, and they're not giving you thorns. If you're giving them those opportunities... Like, I, I relate to this. I feel this in my heart that you assume there's thorns and they're just being too nice to talk to you about it. I'm going to pull myself out of myself 
because that is what I always assume too. Like, I, honestly, like to this day, I feel like Unsung Tales is like terrible and like I've messed it up and like listen to other people. You, you mean the award-winning right? Okay, Unsung like, Tales? Like, okay, yes, that's weird. But yes, like there's always that self-doubt and that imposter syndrome. And I feel like that might be what's taking over in this place. So instead of looking for a, a feedback format, where you are forcing people to give you negative comments, you've given them a format where they have the option of doing that and they're choosing not to. So you should trust your players and you should trust your friends with what they're telling you. I don't know. Yeah, I I very much agree. Like if you keep asking for like, hey, is there any constructive criticism? And the answer is we have no constructive criticism for you. Learn to accept that. But also like I find pointed specific questions rather than general requests for feedback is a little bit more helpful. Like when I was, so after that masks campaign I ran, I tried uh, monster of the week and I burned out really bad on monster of the week. It didn't, the way I was trying to run it wasn't compatible with how my brain worked. So I switched to running some like very pulp inspired savage world stuff. Mm -hmm. And I ended up running combat that had, way too many NPCs in it and like doing the like turn order and logic and actions for all of these NPCs ended up taking way too much time. And I immediately knew, okay, I need to not do that again. Too many NPCs, better crowd management, all that stuff. So like, but I also asked like, Hey, how much did that bother people? And the general thing was, yeah, it kind of slowed down combat, but it wasn't that big of a deal. I also, the way I usually run my campaigns is I spend a lot of time talking with players about their characters, how they see their characters and what they want for their characters. And I'll kind of check in on that as we go. So like when I was running Masks, I was kind of like, okay, all of these characters are on like a progressive arc for their stories. Where do you see that story going? How do you want to try to get there? Things like that. So it was like, okay, so you're playing the Doom. We are going to eventually deal with that. Are you okay with your character dying or not? Stuff like that. And like getting that that information and that like good knowledge about how the characters kind of function in the player's mind. Yeah. So you can then feed things out to those characters and then check in and see how it was received. So I was like, okay, like you wanted cool characters for your character to flirt with. We just had a session. I introduced like three of them. What did you think? Mm -hmm. Like, so coming in and be like, okay, I tried to do the thing you wanted. How did you feel about the execution of that? Any notes? Rather than how did we feel about the session? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I feel pretty good because I just spent three hours hanging out with my friends. Yeah. If you want specific feedback, ask specific questions. Yeah. It's hugely, hugely important. I like the fact Like you're already differentiating between player feedback and PC feedback. I think that's really important. Like, I mean, if you're really looking for more granular feedback, maybe do Thorns, Roses, Buds for player and Thorns, Roses, Buds for PC. Mm -hmm. Like maybe break it down. That might take too long, but like whatever you feel like is appropriate. Because I think, yeah, I I actually really love that. Yeah. Having like directly under each other is like my PC wants and I, as a player, want. Yeah. And it's like, my PC wants to take over, like, wants to become the Cardinal. And as the player, 
I do not want them to become cardinals. No, <laughs> I want like, everything to stop them from that so they keep fighting yeah. for it. Yeah. Or like, I want them to become an oath breaker mm-hmm. or I want that like, I was like, yes, they want this, but what I want is very different. Right. So yeah. like, like totally. um, playing Holly Hart in City of Mist in Heaven on High. Mm-hmm. Like Holly Hart wanted to break everything down and I wanted to get a chance to break things down, but also just things not to go entirely well for her. Yeah. Like, I did not want her to get everything she wanted. Mm-hmm. Same thing with my Irish character in Gene X. Like, the character wanted to get back with her ex. I, mm-hmm. as the player, did not want that to happen. I kept wanting it to, like, almost happen and then have something get in the way and, like, have that, like, tortured, like, drawn out, like, will it happen, won't it happen, like, like thing the whole campaign if I wanted. So, yeah, the, so things can be so different. So that's something that might be worth asking. I actually wanted to circle back to something. So the rose, thorn, bud. So is roses good thing, thorn, bad thing, bud, thing to improve on? I don't know. I feel like bud might be something that you want to happen. I thought bud was just what I call my friends. <laughs> hey, bud. Yeah. Uh, or bad <laughs> beer. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. That's like, I've never heard that particular edition. And I really love that edition because that's the thing that's kind of bounced me off of Rose's thorns for so long. It's like there wasn't any way for the players to tell you like what they wanted to have happen. That's why I've always gone towards stars and wishes, which going back to the question, stars are things that they really love during the session. Wishes are things they wish would happen next or what they want for their character or something like that. So thorns, roses, buds seems to like cover even more if buds Mm -hmm. are like things that have happened that they want to grow on or like they want Mm. to have bloom. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too poetic about it, but like, no, I like that. I I like the idea of buds being things that have been established that you want to see like more, more of, you want to see things develop out of that. I really like that. Cause that with the, especially with the way I GM, I love to just kind of build on things over time. And, and I love like planting those seeds early. And then especially with my doomed, like we, the entire first arc was what the heck is going on with the doomed. And we didn't find out what the dooms, like actual doom was called mm-hmm. until like the second to last session of that arc. Yeah. Ugh. So it was just this slow tension building over best. time, all this foreshadowing, all of this cryptic imagery, mm-hmm. all of these spooky ravens, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And getting to just kind of play with that over time and like definitely people latching on to that foreshadowing and being like, I want to know what's going on. And I'm like, don't worry, we'll get there. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. Um, I love it. Yeah. I like wishes more than I like buds though. Because I wishes to me are are very clear. Like this is something I would like to see in the future. And it mm-hmm. could be something from like, I would like more, I would like a more evenly split spotlight or... I want to ride a horse through a, through a ballroom. Yeah. Like, it can be a specific scene. Mm-hmm. Like, um, when I was running my Savage Worlds pulp stuff, one of the wishes was vampires. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can make that happen. <laughs> and that's when we had the Night of Too Many Draculas. <laughs> Oops, Which was Draculas. an excellent session. Yes. It was a person who got rich off of the film Dracula and <gasps> went and bought a castle in Transylvania uh-huh. and then hosted a party themed after the movie Dracula. Amazing. So they walk into a room and there's like 50 (laughs) Draculas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think it turns out one of them was a real vampire. Oh, (laughs) 
Because, I mean, what else is going to happen in Transylvania? Like, that has to happen. Yeah. I feel like it's a requirement. Of course. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I think I agree with you on the wishes thing, because I also feel like Bud gives the impression that it has to be something that's already connected to the game. Mm-hmm. That you all, like, something that exists that you want to see, like, flower and grow. I mean, I might be right. We might be reading way too much poetry into this, maybe. But I feel like wishes, they can pull things out of nowhere. Like, hey, I want to have a romantic connection where there haven't been any in the game. Like a wish Mm -hmm. is something that they want to pull in and it can be from anywhere. So I kind of like the freedom that that implies for me with the language. I kind Uh, of like rose thorn seed. Like I want to plant this seed for later. I love that. Yeah. So like good thing I like, thing that could be improved. And thing I would like to see later. Yeah. You know, turn into something. Yeah. Ooh, um, that's very good. Yeah. Because I, I think the important thing about, like, the reason I like Stars and Wishes and why I've used it in so many of my games is wishes are an excellent way for me to make sure that my game is something my players want to see. Yeah. And making sure that the things that are on my players' wishes align with the game I want to run. Yeah. Because I may want my game to be this just really heart-rending, just gut punch of a dramatic story. Mm-hmm. But my players might just want the giant robots to be giant robots. Yeah. So keeping track of that kind of thing, making sure that, yeah, your wishes and players' wishes are in alignment is is really important. Yeah, I agree. The first campaign that I've run like on an AP where I was super careful to do that every time was, I know I keep mentioning it, but Unsung Tales because it's the one mm-hmm. I have run the most recent. And I feel like it really, uh, like I, I, w- I was aware of it in previous games, but I hadn't run an AP since Eidolon Academy, which is like mm-hmm. pre-COVID. Like yeah. our last session was actually right as COVID started. So we had to figure out the remote thing for their fi- finale. That was so weird. But but yeah, I feel like it really, really enriched the story and also let me take things in a direction. It gave me a direction to go every time. So it was so, I think it just enriched everything for everyone. Everyone like got the little tidbits they wanted and the things that they wanted yeah. me to spend more time in. And as a GM, I didn't spend a ton of time. Like, okay, sprinkly in my favorite, like Middle Earth characters aside. You know, like... You, you are a player. <laughs> your wishes matter too. Right, right. But like like having like Samantha's character spend time and build that lineage of that like matriarchal badass, you know, treasure hunter family and, Mm -hmm. and Kai meeting Aragorn and like, and being able to go explore like one of the, the dwarven cities for Dave, like all those things led to such amazing, rich moments in the story that I don't know if I would have like some of those things probably would have happened just because I love those things. But I, I don't know if I would have spent as much time on them and I might not have like, like put them in the story if they hadn't been things that were requested. And it just makes yeah. it so much richer. Yeah, I find it really weird to think that people run games without knowing like who their players are going to be or who their characters are going to be. Mm-hmm. And just like come up with a whole plan ahead of time. And then whoever shows up or whatever characters they get better fit to this. And I'm like, that is so opposite of how I like to do things. Like, I generally will come up with my big picture idea mm-hmm. of like, okay, this is the general vibe I'm going for. Like, I, when I ran Masks, it was, it was very much like, I want this to be like Teen Titans and New Mutants mm-hmm. style. They are, But also like, they're, and also mixing very much, they are modern teens 
but whatever your teen experience was like, feel free to incorporate that into the story. Yeah. That way it is something that you relate to, but is also like new and fresh. Yeah. And so like the idea that like, oh yeah, I'm just going to come up with a game and my players are just going to show up blind to that. Mm-hmm. Um, baffling to me. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I mean, that's that's what I do one shots for. Yes. was like, there's enough of a pitch that I get the general vibe of it. And then I show up and am happy to see what the, what the GM has in store for me. That is excellent for a one shot because it's a very curated experience where they have come up with what it's going to be. And there's not much room to change that depending on the game. Mm-hmm. But that's what everybody buys in for. Yeah. I will stand by that running a shit ton of one shots is the best way to become a great GM. Because it teaches you, as hard as it is, and it it teaches you pacing in a way that you oh, yeah. can, no matter what, if you've run enough one-shots at cons, especially with strangers, it makes it very easy to run a very satisfying session, even in a long-term campaign, when you're with players you're, and characters you're familiar with. You can like make sure you time things correctly in a session, even if it's one of like 30 or... 50 or however many sessions that you can get to a resolution or an interesting place to stop. You just feel that in your bones once you get enough like practice with it. It's like learning to ride a bike or something else where you, as you go, you can like have that clear, okay, we have this cool, interesting thing. All these things happened. And then we stop at this cool point ready for next time. Yeah, I absolutely agree that like not having, okay, we'll get to this next session yeah. out is really important because it means, okay, no, we I need to think of a way that we can get to the fun bit mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Like, what are the fewest steps to the most fun? Mm-hmm. And, and like, how to pace those things out. Yeah. It's also just, like, much like anything, if you do enough reps of it, it gets easier. Absolutely. Um, and GMing is absolutely like that. You yeah. get the more practice you get, whether it's running campaigns or running workshops, I think. Burpees. <laughs> nope. I never got better at those. Oh, <laughs> so bad. I had, I had to do a bunch of them yesterday. I'm, I'm going oh. back to the gym. So like, Rip. yeah, I'm like, I used to be so good at these. What the hell is happening right now? Like I got through like four in a row and I was just like, oh my God, I forgot I had a baby. Shit. It's been like four years since I've done these. Okay. Yeah. Back oh, it. It's been much longer <laughs> since I've done a burpee. <laughs> They're the worst. Oh. I hate whoever invented them. And I feel bad for ever having made other people do them. And I'm lucky that Jason <laughs> and Adam and Pooja and all these people are still my friends after I made them do burpees. I'm just going to be like very honest. <laughs> totally fair. Yeah. Totally fair. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to email number three. In yeah, the I've got that one. Okay. All righty. Good evening, Kimmy and her Happy Jacks Pantheon. Ooh, I'm a Ooh. member of a Pantheon. You're the only Pantheon. You're the whole Pantheon this evening. I am the... We already knew that. I am the, the whole Pantheon. The whole Pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany here, first-time writer and long-time social media harasser. <laughs> See, I'm that, but I'm just on Discord. Yes. A few weeks ago, I don't remember which episode, you all talked about Kimmy's trust mechanic in Starscape, and I was thrilled to hear about it. I'm wondering if you could talk more about its development and the playtest. I want to know how the characters and players reacted to the mechanic. To tie it into an advice question, 
How do you develop trust between characters? Yeah. And wait, let's sign off as Tiffany. I totally didn't read that first part where the name is there. So I apologize. <laughs> I just used like the, the handle, but uh, it's okay. Tiffany. So from Tiffany, mm-hmm. P.S., what is the nectar of the Pantheon tonight? Yeah. PPS, drink. Huzzah! Mine was white wine, and it's gone now, unfortunately. Mine was an Alani new energy drink because I am the walking dead. <laughs> All right. So, Tiffany. So, with Starscape, a lot of the... I really wanted the mechanics to focus on the interpersonal relationships, which is something that's really hard to mechanize in a lot of ways, especially because you don't want to take agency away from the other players. So it's something that's still in playtesting. But one of the... Eventually, we've gone through a lot of phases of... I've been playtesting Starscape now for almost three years. But I wanted trust to be something that affected gameplay. So originally, it was like a plus or minus to roles. But now it's transitioned to kind of a game currency. But I didn't want it to be like Benny's or something else that are kind of outside of the in-the-game world. So <laughs> you are. I want it to be something that like really represented something that you had or didn't have. So for trust, um, you can have you you basically have, I think it's gonna eventually be like tokens where you keep them. There's a little meter on the character sheet too, but it's easier if you have like poker chips or something. So the way you to take certain actions there's it's a pbca game so there's moves to do specific moves you have to wager trust so it's basically you putting your trust on the line to see if people will respond to it and most of these moves some of them are based on rules but a lot of them are not it's like you throw your trust out there and then people uh, the other pcs decide how they're going to react and based on their reactions you either lose that trust by if they decide not to go with your plan or whatever it is, or if they decide to go with it, then you get your trust back and maybe earn a little bit more. So I wanted it to be something like that was very specific. It's not just like an out-of-game currency that's sort of like abstract that you can spend on anything. It really represents trust, which is kind of a, a weird thing to do. God, I, I think it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Um, very pleased with the latest thing I don't remember the name of the game, but Magpie Games has this very little known vampire game that they never actually, I think, fully published. It was like something they kind of halfway did and then didn't. I think it's called like Undying or something like that. It's kind of a PBTA game, but it's based entirely on um, like tokens. There's, I don't think you even roll dice. And it was sort of an inspiration for it because they basically, these tokens represent how much blood you've drank on. If you look on their website, you can download it for free, or there's like a $40 like actual There's a full-on $50 hardcover. Yeah. $20 softcover. Yeah, because it's not... I don't think they even print it anymore. It was like one of their earliest things. There's a lot of issues with that game. I don't necessarily recommend it as a game, but I love the idea that your moves were based on how much blood you've drank in as a vampire. Like, it's a finite resource. And it represents something very specific in the game. Like, it's not just like a random thing that you can spend willy-nilly or do other things. Like, you have this much blood and you have to spend it to get to do these specific moves. So if you're going to attack someone, you spend like two blood on it. I don't actually remember exactly the moves or whatever. But it's all tied in with that much blood. And, if you, and you have to recoup that blood before you can take other actions. So I love the idea that that, 
that currency represented something like very specific and it, that it could only be spent to do those actions. So I wanted that same thing for trust. I didn't want you to spend trust to make the computer work or whatever. Like, because that, like, I didn't want it to be something that just got thrown at anything to make your roles better. I want it to be like, you spend, tr- like you wager the trust or you could spend trust if you act out like in a way that would make people not trust you. But most of the time in Starscape, you wager trust to see what other people are going to do. And then you either can get it back if it shows that they trust you or not. It really reminds me that the current iteration of trust really kind of vibes with the vulnerable move, strong move mechanics of longing outside belonging games, Mm -hmm. which I, gosh, that was a game changer when I first played uh, one of those. I... It was actually a No Dice, No Masters game, which for those unfamiliar, No Dice, No Masters is the mechanic system of gaining tokens when you do something vulnerable and spending tokens to do something cool that was originally designed in, what was it? I don't have the book with me. (laughs) Dream Askew, Dream Apart. Dream Askew, that's what it is. I was like, Um, dream something. I can't think. Yeah, Yeah. Dream Askew and Dream Apart, which are fascinating games. If you want just a really, one, the writing style in it and the principles behind the game Mm -hmm. are kind of like almost a a thesis of my particular vibe for role-playing games and the sensibilities behind being, because it's a GM-less game, it's not about being a a game master, but like sharing experiences at a table. Mm -hmm. It very much just is a really awesome treatise on that. And there's also two really cool games in it. so. That has a really cool thing where if you are kind of putting yourself in a vulnerable situation, getting yourself in trouble, giving into emotional impulse, you gain a token. And then when you do something badass or you do something very cool or very narratively important, you spend tokens to do that. Yeah. So it is kind of like in, in PBTA games when someone rolls like a six or less and the GM can do a hard move. It's kind of like you are opting to roll badly there's not dice in longing outside belonging but you're essentially taking a bad result and putting yourself in a bad situation so that narratively you can kind of have that narrative upswing later which is honestly baffling in design it just it works so good Mm -hmm. it's so much fun i really love it if you haven't tried a belonging outside belonging game or a no dice no masters game I highly recommend it. They're, um, they're designed to be played in a single session. It takes a bit of buy-in and it's very much its own particular play style, but it's very cool. And I'm very excited to see mechanics inspired by that. Not to say, hey, you took this thing, but like things that resonate with a similar mechanic in Starscape. Because I, I, I love that. And the idea of wagering it and putting like, oh, do I need to spend a token? Putting that in another player's hands. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a treat for me. I love it so much. Yeah. And it's it's so hard because like designing a move, which is like an action for one player that impacts other players, but doesn't take away their agency is something that like I've been focusing on so much. So Have like, yeah. Read Mobile Frame Zero Firebrands before. Yes. That was one I actually have been reading a lot as inspiration for this. So if you... Look at the mechanics in um, Stealing Time Together, which is the romantic scene. Mm -hmm. That is a masterclass in consent in gaming. Yeah. The moves are like, I touch your hand. May I? 
Yeah. And your responses are, you may, you may not. And then like a bunch of different iterations of that. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you may, but first you have to do this, things like that. It's really, really cool. And I think tying something like that into like a trust mechanic, which is like, okay, I'm going to do something dangerous and I have to rope your character in. May I? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to spend my trust and I'm going to do something that's going to get us both in trouble, but it'll be good. Trust me. Yeah. I think would be really cool. And also like having good outcomes for when someone chooses not to trust somebody Mm -hmm. is great. Like you got to make sure that there's a good balance to it. You don't want it to be like a thing where there's only downside if they choose not to trust somebody. Yeah. Um, Otherwise there's, it'll only ever be one outcome. Yeah, exactly. That's been the hardest thing too. Um, Yeah. I read all through that, that game because it was, and someone, I think Kate Bullock suggested it, I think like way early on in the Starscape thing. And she like works at Magpie and she's a good friend and she's amazing. And so I think uh, like a good example is like the trust me move, which is kind of like the big like moment. Like you're like, it could be anything like it can be something small between two characters. Like, hey, I have an idea for this, like to get so-and-so and so-and-so to so-and-so to go on a date, which is my experience, which is my example from a play test where like Pooja and Jason decided to try and get someone else, like their captain was going to go on a date. So I was like, trust me, I have an idea for this. So basically what you do, you wager a certain amount of trust, like up to three, I think. And it adds to, uh, I have to look at it. I should have looked at it before this game. But, and so it like, it gives a, a certain number of like, I needed to have looked at it. I didn't think of it. But at a certain point, you get a success. Like, okay, you you have done a successful pitch for your idea. Good job. And then the other character gets to choose like what they get to do. So it's like, they trust you, but don't want to go with your plan. They don't trust you. Like, like there's a little menu there mm. that you can choose from PBTA style wise. Yeah, your PBTA drop down. Yeah, exactly. So you get to choose them. And and based on them, there's different things. So if you if there is a, they go with your plan, they trust you, then there's a benefit to the PC who rolled it. And they get their trust back and then they get something else. But all of them are pretty equitable for the other PC choosing. So it's like they don't get, they're not punished for not trusting that character. So it's like they get like XP in one case or they get a trust or so it's like all fairly equitable and like desirable outcomes for the PC. So that way there's not like, oh, like bribing them to always go with that person's idea because sometimes the better story is for them not to trust them in that moment. So you don't want them to be stuck, like kind of being forced like, oh, well, the obviously the be- the only thing I don't like lose something for is to go with them. So I guess I'll go with them. You don't ever want to put a player in that position. Yeah, like, great example, especially in sci-fi, is, like, the story's not as interesting if it's just, yeah, it's Luke and Han going down the trench on the Death Star. It's a lot more interesting if Han booked it out of there when things looked bad and then gained a conscience and came back and saved him. Yeah. That's a much better story. You want to make sure there's room for that in your game. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's still... Like, I feel like it's like 90% of the way there that now. One of the reasons we, we've, we I've been playtesting it so long because it kept like just not working quite, quite right. Mm-hmm. The way, like the different iterations of trust. And I think this spending it as, as a currency actually like really clicked and made everything work really well. So now it's just 
like weaving the trust bit in seamlessly to the mo- different moves and playbooks and stuff in different ways, which is really interesting. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm really I, I think excited. The, the, <laughs> the hardest thing to design around is player actions and players' feelings about things and their approaches to stuff. Yeah. And it only becomes just exponentially more complicated when it's between two players. Yeah. Like there's a reason why most trad games, you have the spells you cast on the bad guys and mm-hmm. you have the healing spells you use on your friends. Yeah. And nothing else. Yeah. You maybe get, you know, bardic inspiration. Ooh, fancy. You get a D6. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason there's not these really intricate, complex, interpersonal things in traditional games because that's very hard to design for. Yeah. Especially with games that have such a diverse style of play in them like D&D, which is, yeah, you can have somebody who plays it as a tactics board game and you have people who are like, yeah, we rolled dice two times last session. Mm -hmm. Versus like a PBTA game, like there's a reason things like monster hearts sometimes get bad (laughs) Like people have bad things to say about them because that is a game entirely about characters interacting and doing moves on each other. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that goes badly. Yeah. Sometimes it goes really, really well. People get married and all of that fun stuff. But, you know, there's a reason like Mast, which I think is a masterpiece of a game, Mm -hmm. is not played by everybody. Yeah. Like it has a lot of interpersonal things and that takes specific character buy-in and it takes a lot of polish to make those interpersonal moves feel right. Yeah. And because you can't, because when the game's out of your hands, you can't decide how people are going to play that. Movie. Yeah. You, you have to trust that the way it's written down is clear enough, concise enough, and allows for enough expression that people are going to both use it well and feel like they have options. Yeah. And as much as I love masks, like the influence mechanic is really like not super elegant. Like there's pieces it's not of perfect, it. perfect, no. Yeah. And I, I, I really, like I, I look to masks for a lot of things. And one of the things I specifically wanted to avoid is that influence type mechanic where it's like, it should play an integral part of the game. But most of the mask campaigns I've played, like almost just ignore it in a lot of ways or only pay attention to it in specific instances because it's sometimes so hard to track and it's sort of vague about how you track it. Yeah, I've only ever run masks digitally. Yeah. Well, I've, I've run a couple of one-shots in person uh, mm-hmm. with family. And so tracking who has influence over each other and like remembering that when you roll a move that affects that person. Yeah. You don't roll that many moves that affect your friends other than like, defending each other and comfort and support yeah so i it does end up being hard to remember who has that influence i do like it as a does how is your character feeling about that person mechanic like if it literally didn't affect dice rolls but it was just like how you felt about somebody i would still be happy to have it in the game because i like having people think about that yeah there are entire DD games where it's like I don't think me and this character have spoken more than four words to each other. We've been playing for two years. Yeah. That kind of thing. So like having that kind of just players putting thought into how the characters feel about each other, I think is, is at least putting people in the right direction Absolutely. Um, or at least, or a good direction. Not that there's a right and wrong in 
how you play tabletop games. I mean, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna push back on that because I think, especially with game design, elegance oh, yes. elegance matters. And yes, oh, absolutely, yeah. having people think about that is important. But if you design a mechanic like influence that is hard to track, that isn't that like suddenly okay, well, we both have influence. What is like? It just gets really confusing. And I know there's At like least it's not grapple rules, right? Right. Like right. nowhere near that. But like, I feel like it's such an integral part that. I don't know if they were like if they just had a super clear idea of it in their head when they were playtesting, so it didn't become murky, or if the playtest forms had a better way of tracking it or something. I don't know. I feel like if they, I feel like if they switched it from influence to like a bond, and it was just like, oh, you and that character have a bond, yeah, and both of you put it on your sheet, and when it goes away, you both take it off your sheet instead of tracking the like one way roads of influence in masks mm-hmm. is is a little bit clunky but honestly if that's my biggest complaint in a system oh yeah like it's a pretty good time yeah like <laughs> it's not it's not like trying to balance like mystery questions in monster of the week where it's like well do i just give away the entire mystery or do i give a bad answer yeah. kind of thing like yeah. i find that a much more difficult thing or like in fate trying to come up with a good aspect on the fly totally. or a good stunt. I'm just like, oh, oh. nope, that just hurts my brain. I'm so bad with um, fate. <laughs> I'm, so- I'm not good at fate. I really want to be though. Yeah. I feel, I feel like yeah. I feel like I gotta find like we need like the mook of fate. Yeah. Like <laughs> which I think might have been Stu's like before he made moment of fate or mo- moment of truth. It was the mook of fate. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like, I, I just got to find the person who like makes that system sing because I, I see the potential, but I just like, it's like watching somebody juggle and then you pick them up and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, and throw it up in the air and it all falls down. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's uh-huh. like, they made it look so easy. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, like, it's very simple. They're just round things and you move them in a certain direction <laughs> and that should be it, right? Yeah, no, no, so bad. So bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like how other people make fate look, and it's like the the drawing of the like beautiful front half of the horse. Yeah. And it's like how I oh, run fate. I run fate. It's just the stick figure. <laughs> yes, I've played fate uh-huh. so many times, and I still feel like I don't know how to play fate. Like I feel like I just make it up every time as I go along, and I feel like I'm not necessarily doing it wrong. Like, yeah, I I feel like I feel like fate has a little bit of an issue of kind of feeling like it's a solved game because like the in the end you just stack up enough aspects and stunts to get as big a bonus on your die roll to win yeah and that's kind of how playing like playing heaven in heaven on high like mm-hmm. playing city of mist which is pbta wearing fate Plus as fate. a hat yes <laughs> which is don't put hats on pbta yeah. stop it stop it get help yeah like PPTA is fine. Make other games. Like, it's all right. It doesn't have to be PBTA with a hat. You can except, just make a game out of a hat. Except if you're adding like a, a, a currency. A trust mechanic a trust in a mechanic sci-fi setting. PBTA. Then, then, then it's, it's totally a perfect fine. hat. It's a great hat. But trust is a thing that totally makes sense in a PBTA game. Yes. Much like romantic stuff mm-hmm. makes sense in a PBTA game. Like that is a it is a game design culture about interpersonal stuff, mm-hmm. like the history mechanic in Apocalypse World. 
it's a game that has always kind of wanted people to have these interaction, interactions <laughs> and connections. I think you said there it right the first time. English. Yeah, I totally said it right the first time. <laughs> Let's not go back to the tape. Yeah. I think PBTA is at its best when things are are concise and, mm-hmm. and stripped down and and you have that one thing about the PBTA system that makes it cool. Yeah. Like having a trust mechanic. Mm-hmm. In my opi- opinion, the thing that makes masks so cool is the comfort and support. Yeah. Like, I think that move is a like high watermark for game design. Mm-hmm. My opinion. I think the, the things it inspires, the things it kind of gets players to do, stuff like that is like just a standout. I think. For me, it's um, uh, for a mask. It's marking the conditions instead of hit points. Oh yeah, conditions instead of instead of harm. Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah, that's making pivotal. Oh yeah, and the reason I I say that comfort and support is so good is because the way that you heal harm, yeah. air quotes, in masks is you have a heart to heart with your friends. Yeah, which is just like oh, masterclass, perfect, yes. like chef kiss. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, and like. And that's why I'm so excited to see things like trust and the mechanics in there when you have things like, you know, Deep Space Nine and and all this stuff where it's these people and they have these long running stories and it's more about the characters and how they feel about each other and the relationships they have than whatever adventure they're on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like people don't remember like whatever, like. In Firefly, people remember the lines between the characters and the relationships and stuff like that. But like, does anyone remember why Mal kicked that one guy into a turbine? (laughs) No, but they remember that he kicked him into a turbine. Yeah. And like, they remember how the other people reacted to that Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like to this day, I, the actor who played Jane, not a great person, Mm -hmm. but I still will make Jane quotes every so often. And I'm like, yeah, that's just... That character had a really good energy with the other characters. It was really entertaining. It was very interesting to see them try to like want to be a terrible person and try to kind of balance that and yeah, be an interesting conflicted character. Yeah, and sometimes totally betray everyone. Oh, like yeah. there were moments, oh, yeah. and I think like that's so important because uh, like so many games focus on like physically. Okay, can we shoot the thing? Can we like especially sci-fi games? Mm-hmm. Like, because I was looking through them to try and find one and I didn't find one, so I made one. But yes. like, they all focused on like, okay, what blasters do you have? What skills do you have? Which is important in sci-fi, 100%. But like, they didn't deal with that, like tension between the characters. Like yeah. Jane is saving someone one minute and then, and then Mal's like putting him outside the airlock and is like, if you ever do that fucking again, I will like murder you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, can I try, like, and like, there's those moments where like, they're really almost on the edge of like killing each other. And then like a couple episodes later, they're saving each other again. Like that back yeah. and forth, like is what I was trying to capture with like the trust and how you gain it and how you lose it and how you wager it. And maybe you lose it. Maybe you get it back. And like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so complicated and delicious. It's so good. Yeah. Those high points and low points of a relationship between two characters are yeah. just super fun to play. Out. Yeah. This is the kind of game I live for. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Yeah. If you've played like previous versions of it, like two weeks ago, I came out with the most recent beta. I released it. So you can download it for free. GoldenLassoGames.itch.io. So not asking for money or anything. 
you can just go download it. Uh, if you play the beta, please tell me how you think about it. There's a survey you can take. Back to our email about <laughs> thorns, roses, and buds. Like, tell me what you think. But yeah, so it's 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 cool. I think it, I, I'm trying to stay true to what BBTA is with like the elegance and the simplicity, but also capture some interesting new things that I think are mm-hmm. specific to like Starscape. So and like space. So- to pivot off of game mechanics and back to the email, they wanted to tie it into an advice question, which is how do you develop trust between characters? Ooh. And that is a completely different question and I'm very excited for. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really comes down to having a good relationship between players mm-hmm. and having buy-in. Like, if you... In the Masks campaign that I ran, Joey was playing our legacy and Emily Stork's daughter was playing our reform. Mm-hmm. And we had kind of a check-in like, okay, are play- players interested in like character romances and stuff like that. And like, we kind of had continual check-ins about that, how people were feeling about it. And it led to this really great, this really great, very goofy relationship between like this super jock goody two shoes uh, legacy and the I was a super villain until uh, last summer reformed, which just made for this really great just character chemistry and dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think th- the way you get characters to trust each other is you get players to trust each other. Yeah, you set boundaries, you talk about things ahead of time, you make sure that you like for the Happy Jacks lines and veils sheet we have a romance options drop down and we also have things where you can mark on the lines and veil sheet we have things like intercharacter romance mm-hmm. and stuff like that or ro- romance in general can be greenlit cautious lined lined veiled all of those different options and so you can kind of make sure that you're getting that kind of okay from folks ahead of time that's definitely something like when I run one shots, I make sure that I'm using that and kind of making sure people are all right with it, especially because I like to run one shots where things like romance are absolutely a absolutely an option. I got to play in uh, shout out to Mike Ferdinando for running mobile frame zero firebrands for me. Mm-hmm. That was over on the the magpie discord. But I had wanted to play that game for a really long time. And I met somebody through that game who, like, we both just decided, okay, we are going to, like, have the just coolest lesbian romance. And it's going to be so much fun. Mm -hmm. And we'd never met together, but because we had these really good, well-thought-out safety tools, and we had this conversation before the game started, whether that was something people were comfortable with. And, like, as we were building characters, we were able to just have a really fun really really intense scene of like like the two of them meeting in a bar out of uniform so they don't know that they're on opposite sides of the war Uh, and then like we had the the dramatic kiss and walk away into the night uh never to see each other again until like Uh, on a battlefield i get wounded and taken captive by her side uh, and have to fight a duel and then she saves me at the last moment it's amazing so good and you can have games like that and moments like that in games without safety tools, but it can go so wrong. Yeah. So 
I think the the thing, the way you get trust between characters is you get trust between players. And the way you do that is with robust safety tools and constant check-in. Not constant, but like regular check-ins yeah. and just like enthusiastic consent. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Plus one to all of that. Just so I have a little bit of a different answer. So I'm not just copying what Rose said. No, I wanted to hear what I said just from you. Oh, just from me? How I yes, say it? Yes. I do have a habit of doing that, unfortunately. I think it's the teacher in me. It's like, <laughs> let me rephrase that. So like other like alternative learning styles can hear the same. Hey, the show's got to get to a runtime. So you know what? <laughs> However we get there, fine. we get there. It's fine. If we got to inflate the word count, let's have yeah. some therefores have some and some drinks. also's. Yeah, that'll be great. And <laughs> in regard to... Yes. I think another way to do that with PCs, um, like you absolutely have to have trust between the players, but have a history. And whether that is, if you want your players to start, you can have amazing moments like what Rose just described with like characters who don't know each other and then have this incredible moments. But they had those incredible moments later because of that history at that bar. So mm-hmm. it's having all those like little like touchstone moments that they can draw on that makes them trust each other. And whether you do that like during an actual campaign, like they are strangers when they meet or whether you do like PBTA character connection questions ahead of time so they have like touchstones that they can base off of for that first session so they trust each other already. However it's contrived, that history is what makes characters trust or distrust each other. So creating that, whether it's organically as you play or like contrived with some uh, questions or something ahead of time, that really is what makes like characters trust each other. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they've been through stuff before and have been there and proved that they can be trusted. And um, so that's a really important question when you're like starting a campaign is, do I want them to be strangers and have that awkwardness at, at first? Because you can lead to some amazing moments like what Rose is describing. This is so good. Oh my God. I'm just like goosebumps about that. Or like those moments where like suddenly they're in their first fight together and they really, they see that they have each other's back. And, you know, I make fun a lot of like, oh, they meet in a tavern, but like that can actually lead to really cool stories. And then like, oh, they always come back to that tavern at the beginning of an adventure because it's like, it's their good luck charm or whatever it is. They all order the same drink that they ordered that first time 10 years ago and they go out, you know, and then whatever it is, those things can that shared history and shared understanding, just like you and your friends and your whoever you trust in your life, it's because of those shared experiences. So just this building that up between the characters is what will lead to them trusting each other. And the more you do that, the more it hurts when they betray each other. And that's so good too. <laughs> yes. I just, I live off the drama. The drama. So much drama. All right. It sustains me. It does. Oh, my gosh. That's you. You're really the the goddess of drama. That's really what it is. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All uh, right. I think that's good. Uh, anything else to add? Gosh, what else? Oh, hey, I'm on Blue Sky now. Um, oh, okay, at Rose RPGs. Uh, do I post things there? Not really. Yeah. But if you want to follow me on a socials, I now have a socials. You that's can also all. just come say hi on the Discord. They're all the time. I occasionally will just run impromptu like Descended from the Queen games or just like zero prep single session games. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're super fun. Awesome. Amazing. Let's see. Yeah, no, I think think I've said everything recently. If you do want to follow more about Starscape, Golden Lasso Games slash Starscape is a thing. 
I don't want to make it an ad, but I just like if you're interested in that. Um, I also have Golden Lasso Games also has social media accounts. So if you look up Golden Lasso Games, it's on like everything. So, so I think that's all. So thank you for joining us for season 32, episode 25 of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. This is the final episode of the season. We're going to take a two-week break. Two weeks. <laughs> thank you. And we'll be back at the beginning of December with new episodes. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can order, uh, you can join their amazing ranks at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. There's different levels. There's different like rewards and stuff like that. We have a show that we're doing now called Nerding Out where we just like, a bunch of us just geekily talk about something we're like just delighted with or hate, whatever it is. Um, We did one about costuming recently, which was very fun. And we're going to just be doing those every month. If you're a D8 Patreon and above. So there's a lot of cool stuff. Go check it out. My name is Kimmy. And I've been Rose. And today we're going to leave you with a song called Agincourt Carol, which is about Henry V and his Battle of Agincourt. And it's sung by the world-famous Poxy Boggards. And you can find their music at poxyboggards.com. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Thank you all so much. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Our king went forth to Normandy With grace and might of chivalry Their God for him wrought marvelously Wherefore England they call and cry He set the seed suit for to say To Hawkeford town with royal array The town he won and made afraid That France shall rule until doomsday Deo gratias Gracias, Anglia, Rey de Provitoria. Then went our king with all his host to France, fight all the French did most. He started neither least nor most till he came to Agincourt coast. Then forsooth that comely knight. Court field did manly fight Through grace of God most mighty He won both field and victory Deo gratias Deo gratias Anglia Rede pro victoria Then dukes and earls, lord and slain and that's well soon and some were led into London with joy and mirth and great renown now gracious God he save our king his people and all his good willing give him good life and good ending that we with mirth may safely sing Deo gracias Deo gracias this show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. Mm-hmm.